We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by betonline.ag. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. And joining me tonight, as always, is my co-host, former NFL defensive back Eric Crocker. What's going on, brother? How you feeling, man? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. And, uh, you know, obviously the 49ers have made some uh, transactions, and I'm feeling good about those as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's. It's been a busy couple of days. I mean, obviously the last time we came, we came to you guys – Obviously, we were talking about the coronavirus and the impact on that on sports because the NBA had just shut down and obviously things have continued to progress on that front. But there weren't a whole lot to talk about on, on you know, on the 49ers side of things. The, you know, we were talking about Tom Brady, which thankfully has come and gone. Um, but over the past couple of days, the 49ers have provided us, us with all kinds of uh, things to talk about, I guess you could say, um, because... The legal, te- technically free agency has not opened yet. Uh, it's still like the tampering period. And I think free agency opens like, is it tomorrow? When does like actual NFL free agency start? Yeah, I think it is tomorrow like, because I think tomorrow um, all teams have to make sure that they're under the cap as well. Right. So, you know, this is just, it's it, it felt like free agency started because it's just the legal tampering period where, Players that are about to become free agents are are allowed to talk to other teams. They're allowed to work on deals. They're allowed to agree to terms. So that's what we've been cruising through right now. And and, and what we'll do is we'll just kind of go through. I'm not going to list out everything the 49ers did. Um, we're just going to talk about them one by one, kind of sort of in the order they happen. Um, and then we'll just kind of give you our thoughts. And, and, I, and I can guarantee you that will probably be our entire episode because – you know, as you know, Eric Crocker and I can can go on for a while, and the 49ers just made a lot of moves and gave us stuff to talk about. So, uh, the first move that that I thought was a a good move, like you know, that I thought it was the smart thing to do, was um, the 49ers uh, re-signed Eric Armstead to a five-year deal. It's actually kind of like a six-year deal, but the six years kind of like a throwaway. I, I don't really think it's going to play into the contract at all. Um, but and the contract is right around. 
85 million, you know, and that, and that includes a healthy amount of guarantees. And, and the, the deal is just because the 49ers are kind of pinned up against the seller gap, it's um, for the most part, it's relatively backloaded. It's not loaded to the front. Like Eric Armstead's cap number this year is 6 million, despite the fact that he's, he's, he's under a contract that probably makes him average right around 16 to 17 million per year. So, you know, and, and so Crocker, what's your, what's your first reaction on that contract in and of itself, trying to kind of not even really take into account everything else that happened? Yeah. My, my first reaction, I was a little conflicted. I mean, obviously I wanted, I wanted Armstead back, but I I just didn't think that you could sign him to a big contract and have Buckner having a big contract coming up and have D Ford on the big contract, and you're really not getting as much as you thought you would out of D Ford. Um, so my my initial reaction was, I wanted Armstead back, but just from a team-building perspective, to me, it didn't make sense. Um, and, and I'm talking about as far as, when, you know, when the day started, and right, right, right. You, you see the news, 49ers, they re-signed Armstead. I'm like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like it just didn't make sense. So that was my initial reaction to it. So, and, and and I guess it was kind of like I kind of just hamstringed Eric there in the fact that he had to just give his reaction based on the initial thing. And the reason he's saying that is because it wasn't long after the 49ers re-signed Eric Armstead that we found out that they were actually trading uh DeForest Buckner, which is which I'm still in, in in a way shocked by, you know, like this is a guy um, that could not have panned out any better when it comes to a draft pick. 49ers picked him seventh overall. Uh, what was 2016, I believe. And I mean, it just, it was an absolute home. You can go back and whether you're reviewing the pick now or, or with him as a rookie, he was an absolute home run pick. Um, there's really, Nothing else you could have you could have wanted from a player like that. I mean, Buckner was maybe a top five, top three defensive tackle. And like Eric said, when once the 49ers re-signed, uh, once they re-signed Eric Armstead, so you looked at that amount of money, and you knew there was no chance in hell that they weren't going to re-sign George Kittle, whether that comes this year or next year. And you kind of, you know, if you work through that, then you got to a point where DeForest Buckner's contract, and, and not to say he he was not worthy of being re-signed, but it just became all the more unlikely that all three of those in, were, were going to remain on the roster, in addition to the other big contracts they already have. I thought it was going to be DeForest gone. I, I never thought, and it was kind of weird just kind of seeing how everything played out, but and this is the other weird part. <clears throat> I view Armstead probably as a better football player than maybe most 49ers fans. I think that he's always been good. Um, I think like Buckner in Buckner's, um, was his second year or third year when Buckner had all the sacks? Uh, when, when when Buckner had the 12 sacks, I, I viewed it as like, well, Buckner has been good the whole time. Like just because he gets 12 sacks in the season doesn't mean like all of a sudden he's, he's just randomly got good out of nowhere. He maybe finished plays better but I thought that or the result of the play was better I guess in his favor but I thought that Buckner was really good from the time he stepped on the field his rookie year I kind of feel the same way about Armstead where I've always thought Armstead was a really good player the thing that was hurting him so much one he had some injuries and then two I thought he was forced into a position that maybe wasn't best suited for him but still worked for him because he's a versatile player um, but I thought all of the whole time he should have been playing more of that three tech role, a lot, you know, just like we saw from Buckner. Buckner, and the my kind of what I kind of came to the conclusion in my head. They're 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 almost like the best, the same player. You kind of have a little bit of give and take in each scenario. Where I think Armstead, he he's a solid pass rusher, but I think he's a better run stopper. That he he's a tremendous run stopper. And and Buckner, I think Buckner is a um, a really good uh, pass rusher from the interior. But in the inside, I thought that his run 
stopping abilities was a little suspect. He'd play a little high, get blown off the ball a little bit, sometimes get moved around. I thought side to side in the run game, that's where you see Buckner's, um, you know, athletic ability. So you you kind of have very similar players, a little give and take here and there. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't one that viewed Armstead as just, oh, he's just not on the caliber of Buckner. Uh, I think the biggest thing that separated the two, in my opinion, was the fact that Buckner just doesn't miss games. And throughout Armstead's career, especially the first couple years, maybe the first three, he missed a bunch of games. Um, but the last two seasons where he was, you know, fairly healthy, really healthy. Actually, I don't think he missed a game over the last couple of years. I thought he played his best football. I didn't think it was out of nowhere. His sack numbers came, you know, ballooned this year. But I always thought he was a good football player. So I think I kind of viewed this whole thing a little different. And when we, and I don't know if I'm getting ahead of, you know, the conversation yet, but when I saw the news that they traded Buckner, I didn't feel any type of way about that because I viewed them in a very similar perspective. Right. I think that's a fair way of looking at it. And and to me, um, I have a, a special attachment to DeForest Buckner. He was like my last one true draft crush. He was like the, the last pick the 49ers made before I kind of took the being a 49ers fan side of me and kind of set it aside to start doing the, uh, you know, the, the covering the 49ers role. So he was the last player that I like was really pulling for the 49ers to pick. And, and anybody who's been following me on Twitter a long time uh, knows that, that that was my guy. And that was my, my draft crush for, for 2016. And when the 49ers, I was totally convinced that he was not going to follow the 49ers. Um, but then the Chargers ended up taking Joey Bosa and the Ravens who were, you know, really, really common favorites for Buckner ended up taking Ronnie Stanley. And so there it was at pick number seven and, and the 49ers took DeForest Buckner. And I remember watching uh, an interview with Trent Balky after um, they picked him and that was the only pick they made or it wasn't the only, I don't think it was the only pick they made that day, but he was asked after the the draft, or excuse me, after that day, you know, why Buckner, why pick Buckner? And all Balky could really say was he kind of like scoffed and was like, man, why not? You know, because he was just such a good player and such a freak athlete. And it was such a cool pick too, because they already had Eric Armstead and both of them played together um, at Oregon. And so now the 49ers had two defensive linemen, linemen that were both like six, eight, 300 pounds played together in college. It was just kind of like this little, you know, the perfect situation match made in heaven. And so, you know, I've always had that, that attachment to Buckner. And obviously if, having been in the locker room and, and seen him the way he handles himself, whether it's at training camp or during the season, um, he's just an, an, a great all around person, you know? And, and I think that you said uh, Haberman and Middlecoff in their podcast said that Buckner was like a, a B plus player and an A plus person. And, and for the most part, I can agree with that. I think he's better than a, a B plus player, but he was just, it, it doesn't get any better than, than a DeForest Buckner in terms of what you hope your draft, your, your number seven overall pick can be and what he'll develop into. So now from that stand, you know, moving on from that standpoint, and we still haven't mentioned it. So Yes, we said the 49ers traded DeForest Buckner, but they traded him for the number 13 overall pick in this year's draft, which, you know, now that we start to shift the conversation towards why they traded him, you know, to me, one of the things I said to Crocker on Twitter, you know, yesterday was because he, he, he said I could see why they, he all, all Crocker said was I can see why they traded Buckner. Like, I think it was a good move. And I told him, I was like, well, it looks like we finally get to have an heated <laughs> argument on, yeah. on Twitter, but and, you know, the more time I've had to marinate on it, I, I, I began to, you know, be able to come to terms with why the move made so much sense, especially when you look at the contract DeForest Buckner got from the Colts. I think he's being paid an average of $21 million a year, which is a lot of money. And I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that the 49ers made multiple offers to DeForest Buckner. I don't want anybody out there. I mean, you could think it if you want, but it doesn't matter. I, I don't think anybody out there should think, oh, the 49ers never made any effort to re-sign a player as good as DeForest Buckner. I can guarantee you they probably made multiple offers 
you know, made a starting offer, then see kind of how it went from there. And they probably made another, they might've even made three offers. I have no evidence to prove that, but I can guarantee you that they did because that's what a good front office would do with a player of that caliber. And it probably fairly quickly became clear that the 49ers were not going to be able to meet Buckner's price tag. And well, I, I don't even think it's so much that they weren't going to be able to meet the price tag. I think it was a little more of, well, he wants all of this money. We view Armstead in a similar aspect as far as, you know, like, you know, the talent, maybe not quite as the player of Buckner, but, you know, not too far off. So if you're telling me I can I can get a player that's similar and play the similar role and he's cheaper, you know, and I'm still getting good production out of him and I can flip the other player for the 13th overall pick. I think that makes your decision a little, you know, a little easy. Like I like, like I would have jumped on that. I'd have been like, hell yeah, like send me the 13th pick. And, and that's no that I, I think that's a, a good testament to how good I think Buckner is viewed. Cause I don't think that Armstead would have, you know, commanded the first the 13th overall pick. But I, I think from a team building perspective, I understand like why I like I I would have jumped on that. I would have jumped on that and I wouldn't feel bad about it. Just like as a fan, I love Buckner. Um, I think Buckner is awesome, right? Just like you said, everything you think you're getting when you draft somebody sixth overall or seventh overall uh, when he was taken, the the type of production that you got out of him, the person that he was, never in any type of trouble, great leader, all of that, right? When, when, all Like he was everything that you want in a top 10 pick. Even then, you know, it would come to a situation and we have two guys that are similar, right? Think of, think of uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans right now, right? You have two players where, you know, I'm I'm high on Mike Evans, right? Probably higher than most people. I think he's a top five receiver. But if you were to tell me, hey, you know, there's only kind of money for one of you guys and Godwin, who is a 1,200-yard, nine-touchdown receiver, and I'm going to be forced to kind of move one of you guys, but Godwin is cheaper. I'm going to take, and I can get a first round pick for this guy, for Mike Evans. Bye, Mike. My Mike Evans. I like you. I love you. But yeah, you can you can kind of go, you know, for the betterment <laughs> of the team. And that's kind of how I viewed this trade. Well, and I think that's a smart way to view it. And and if you, that's that's a big part of it is when you look at the two of them. The 49ers, I don't know when they came to this realization. They probably, they, they might have known it for a while. That they probably weren't going to be able to keep, you know, everybody. Obviously, this is the problems that good teams have. You know, players play really well. The team becomes good. And players price themselves out of the equation. How many times have we seen the Patriots let go of really good players um, that go on to get huge contracts elsewhere? Uh, you know, it's not that they want to let those players go. It's just that's the way it is. You have to continue to properly allocate your assets. And to Crocker's point, um, it, let's say that the, the team views Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner relatively evenly. Let's say that they view them that way. Obviously, Armstead was willing to take less money, and DeForest Buckner's value to the rest of the league was higher. So if the team is sees them the same, and, and if you look at, you know, if, if you like pro football focus and you compare the numbers between Buckner and Armstead last year, uh, Armstead was better, not by a large margin, but by a significant one. It, you know, I mean, his overall grade was almost a 90, whereas Buckner's was a 78. And Armstead had 62 total pressures that included 11 sacks and Buckner had 55 and that was eight sacks. So I mean, and, and I believe I've seen a couple graphics that show that Armstead was double teamed more often than DeForest Buckner. And I know you pointed that out in a video somebody posted of Buckner getting a sack. And I think it was on that same rep that Armstead was double teamed. And and I have seen a graphic where Eric Armstead was among the more double teamed um, defensive ends in the NFL. So obviously you have a comment. rate And beating it was really high. Right. And he's, just a, he's just a freak athlete. And, and, and there's, 
there's a conversation to be had about which one was better. You know, obviously, Eric Armstead's career got off to a rough start. His first year, he was healthy, but he was a more rotational role. He didn't play nearly as much as as he does now. And then in his second year, I think, was his shoulder injury. And in the third year, it was his hand injury. And both were season-ending. Um, and so that kind of got him a bad rap. And then last year, he was healthy all year. Didn't quite have the the, the statistical impact that he had this year. But he two very, very good years. So... The team obviously was able to to recognize that, and they wanted to keep him around. and And just by the way things unfolded, with a combination of what Armstead was willing to accept in a contract, what Buckner wasn't willing to accept in a contract, or how much he felt he was worth, and what he was worth to the rest of the NFL, because now the Forty ers have they they still are somewhat strapped for draft capital. Uh, you know, they have they now have two first round picks, which is a huge deal. But then their next pick isn't until the fifth round. Well, now that they have the number 13 overall pick, which is just kind of crazy to think about, because one, I, and I know it basically flips me and Crocker on our heads because a lot of the guys that we hadn't even been really paying a whole lot of attention to a lot of guys because the 49s were picking number 31, and these guys were well, well, well out of reach. Well, now all of a sudden there's a there's 20 guys that we can look at that might be available right there that the 49ers could consider. So it's in that way, it flips it upside down. And now they can, given they have that huge gap from the first to the fifth round, the 49ers could put a lot of thought into possibly trading that number 31 pick trading back, you know, and getting a decent amount of picks. And all of a sudden you're stacking the, your roster with quality, quality depth. If you can get, let's say you trade back from, uh, you know, pick number 31 and you get a second and a third. Well, now you've got a first-round pick at number 13. You've got a second-round pick and a third-round pick, and then the draft kind of carries on you know, like they would normally would. So the 49ers, by trading Buckner, although it's a big loss, I think right now the 49ers are worse, they have a chance to become take a step, actually get better after the draft, which given how the draft was unfolding before the Buckner trade, it didn't really seem like that was the case. It seemed like at best they were going to get somebody at number 31 that – may step right in and start or, you know, we'll see what position they go. And then the rest of the draft, I wouldn't say it's a throwaway because the 49ers have proven to be very good in the late rounds, but you know, it just drastically changes the the outlook of the draft and makes, you know, at, at the very worst, you're getting two first round picks, two pl- two first round caliber players. Um, you know, at, I wouldn't even say that's at worst. That's, that's obviously a great <laughs> scenario, but right. you know, and that's not considering they trade back. So, all kinds also, of I have a take on the, on the draft pick as well. Go. Um, well, I, I hear a lot of people like, well, that 13th overall pick better be good because it's not going to be Buckner, right? Like that, like that's the what people are saying. They're, they're looking at it as the 13th overall pick has to be as good as Buckner. And if it's not, it's a failed trade. Where I look at it as, no, you just need Armstead to be good. And whatever you get out of 13, that's a plus. Because you didn't trade Buckner for the 13th pick. You traded Buckner to keep Armstead, if that makes sense. So I know there. No, I, I, yeah, I, right. Yeah, I saw that on a lot. A lot of fans. Um, it's not like uh, you know the 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 Raiders and they trade Khalil Mack, but they don't have anything in place for Khalil Mack, right? Um, it's not a situation like that, or or like the Raiders trading Amari Cooper, but they don't have any receiver. Then whoever they draft um, in that spot is like, well, is this guy going to be able to you know overcome that? position or whatever uh, like it is not like that this is a we had to make a move and Armstead is the piece where I think fans should be looking at well Armstead better be good because we just traded Buckner I think it's, I think that's the conversation that needs to be had whoever they take at 13 I don't think it really has anything to do with Buckner other than the fact that they were able to get that player because of Buckner but I, I wouldn't judge that player based on the caliber player that Buckner was. I think right, that's, that's Armstead, that's, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's something I have in my notes right here. Like, under where, where we took notes on the Armstead deals, the pressure's on for Eric Armstead. Like, the 49ers basically, you know, and, and I think Armstead probably knows this, there's a significant portion of the NFL world that thinks Buckner is probably very clearly the better of the two. And and obviously his contract says that. And what the 49ers were able to get for him says that. And the 49ers are obviously saying, okay, Armstead, of the U2, you're our guy. So we expect 
the same amount of impact you just had, we expect you to do it again. So the pressure's on for for Eric Armstead to, you know, obviously follow through with his part of the deal. And I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that are very skeptical of that because um, Armstead has, you know, has a little bit of an injury history, but at the same time, he's had two healthy seasons and, and he's played really well in those two seasons. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, it's, it's just, it's just an interesting thing. It's just an, it was a very shocking, very surprising trade, but kind of as time goes on, it's become a lot more clear why they did it. And now the 49ers have, you know, pick number 13, three picks outside the top 10, which is, there's a lot of good players that go in that range. So it'll be interesting to see the 49ers handle it. And I'm going to call it right now. I think next episode, Crocker, we should, uh, we should just break down all the players. We could see the 49ers going after at number 13, because I think we could, we we could probably come up with a lot. There's a lot of options, you know, some, some pretty sexy wide receivers. And, and another thing that kind of the 49ers are getting, getting lucky with, with getting number 13 is there are gonna there are a lot of quarterbacks that are gonna go up top? Um, you know the number one overall pick is gonna be a quarterback. If it's not, then something crazy happened. And you have a few others that that could go in front of the 49ers as well. And every single one of those that happens is a blessing to the 49ers because it pushes a good player their way. So, but anyways, let's. I don't want to get too off track because so right now, just to kind of summarize, we've 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 had Eric Armstead's five year. Uh, $85 million deal. And then the 49ers traded DeForest Buckner to the Colts for the 13th overall pick in this year's draft. And and I think that we could probably talk about that scenario and keep talking about these two guys for the rest of the episode, but we'll keep going. Okay. So, and then in addition to that, now when one of the, in one of the previous episodes we recorded, there was Eric Armstead, Emmanuel Sanders, and Jimmy Ward were like the three key free agents that the 49ers were going to try and hold on to. And I assumed, and I even said in the podcast, that I, I assumed the 49ers were only going to be able to keep one of the three. That's what I assumed. Well, you know, given they traded for a player that was eventually going to cost them $21 million a year, they now had a little bit of extra salary cap, and and, defo- and Eric Armstead's um, deal was front or excuse me backloaded, so it kind of you know saved them a little bit of money, and so they were able to resign Jimmy Ward, their their starting free safety last season, who is another player, and that's kind of a theme between these two players is Jimmy Ward's also struggled heavily with injuries in his his five six years with the 49ers. so. But they did resign him, and he was a huge part of the defensive success, defense's success this year. They did resign him to a, a three-year deal worth about twenty-eight million, which is a pretty good deal for a safety. You know, they'll there will be safeties. You know, um, what's his name from the Vikings? Croc. What's his? What's the safety? It's about Harris? to become a free agent. Yeah, he's going to get a lot of money. Um, you know, there's going to be safety contracts that far exceeded what the 49ers got Jimmy Ward for, but. You know, it, when we're going to take a quick little break, and when we come back, we're going to get uh, Crocker's take on the Jimmy Ward signing. So, before we get back to that, uh, we wanted to uh, to get a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Now, obviously, as you all know out there, there's currently no NBA, no NHL, no college basketball. So you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager. From their online casino, poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. And sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts and esports is on the rise. If you're into entertainment, you can still bet on American Idol, the elections, spelling bee, and even the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. So be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your new ticket to online action. Yeah, it's got to be an interesting landscape for for bet online, huh? Like all of sports just in one week basically vanishes. Right. So the, the, the bets on that place right now have got to be some of the most interesting. They've got to be a bunch of is- interesting reads, you know, just to see what people are betting on right now. But one thing I've learned is after you've been around people that bet is is they'll bet on anything. Like 
they'll they'll bet on anything. They'll look up the odds and they'll figure out where they should, and, and they'll just go. It's I mean, obviously, there's plenty of people that are addicted to it, but it's just an interesting thing. There's got to be a lot of interesting bets going on right now. But anyways, as promised, what what's your take on on the Jimmy Jimmy Ward contract, Jimmy Ward signing? What you know, what keeping him around means to the 49ers defense? Yeah, well, I, I thought it was Jimmy Ward or more. That was kind of like my thing. I, I didn't think that they were going to go out in free agency and get a, a safety. I didn't think that they would draft a safety high. Um, I thought it was Jimmy Ward or more. And to to get Jimmy Ward, I think it means a lot. You know, it, it seems like everybody loves him. You know, you need people like that that are like kind of like cornerstone pieces uh, just on your team in general, right? Guys that have been around, uh, they've gone through ups and downs. They went through all those rough times. They went through all the coaching changes, um, you know, Armstead being another one of those guys, right? They had to fight through adversity. And they finally got to the top, and you bring those guys back. You reward them for, you know, being the the player who, you know, we all say, you know, these guys can they, – they can play. They just need to stay healthy. And we saw that with Ward. Now, I'm not going to let Ward off the hook. I, I think the thing that I'm looking forward to seeing this year is like, okay, you're paid now. And I think that you're, he, he's great. I, I hear, you know, student of the game. Um, we obviously know how hard he works and um, how good he is and versatile he is on the field. I just need a few more takeaways. You know, I need, I need, can I get three interceptions? <laughs> can I get, can I get a fumble recovery? <laughs> you know, um, you know, just, I just need him, you know, at the position he is, man, you know, you get to read the quarterback and you get to jump some routes. Um, can we can we get can we get some takeaways? And I think that's the that's the one thing I'm waiting uh, to get from him. And I, I've been one of those people that I've been on teams where it seems like man, this guy just always makes plays. There are just some people that just have a knack for being around the ball. Some guys, the ball just always bounces their way. And I think we start to see that a little bit with Tavarius Moore. I think this impacts more a little bit to where uh, you know he he'll probably just be in more of a dime role or. They might be, you know, planning, you know, uh, Jaquiski Tart uh, departure soon, and maybe more can kind of fill in in a role like that. But I, I think ultimately, man, like, uh, you know, I'm rambling on. I like the signing. I just would like to see a few more takeaways. Um, but great versatile piece, man. He did so much for the defense. Uh, yeah, this is a good signing. Well, I think that's fair too, and I also think takeaways were something you could probably. You, one, you should always expect it for, or at least hope for it for a defensive player. But I think it's fair to expect that if if everything goes Ward's way and he stays healthy and he gets back out there again next season. I mean, if you think about it, he hasn't had a whole lot of experience in Robert Sala's defense because he's been hurt. Now, he, obviously, he's had time to study it, but he just hasn't gotten that many snaps within it because he spent so much time on the injured list. Well, you know, if he stays healthy, this would be his second full season. Um, back there at that free safety role. And, I, and at that point, when you become comfortable with it, I, I think it's fair to expect some takeaways, you know, and, and that should be kind of what fans are starting to look like. And, and obviously he made plenty of splash plays. He made a lot of one-on-one tackles that would have, that, that saved big gains. Um, you know, he had that fourth fumble on Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl that turned it into a fourth down. Uh, you know, stuff like that. It's not technically a turnover, but it, it's making impact plays that change the flow of the game. And that's kind of what you want to see. And they've always called that position the eraser in Robert Sala's defense. They expect Jimmy Ward to erase plays, whether it's through the air or on the ground, or, or maybe it's a play that should have broken for big yards, but he's the last man there and he makes a play. So that's what they expect from him. And now that, you know, he's been paid and this is his second year you know, really starting in the defense as far as being on the field, then I, I think it's fair to up the expectations a little bit. And, you know, and he's been in the league for a while now. I think this is going to be his sixth year. So, you know, that those, those should be the expectations. So in addition to Jimmy Ward, you know, and, and what's cool to think about when I look at Jimmy Ward's name is there's going to be so many players from what was an outstanding defense last season. I mean, almost all of them are returning if you know and if you if you look at obviously DeForest Buckner's leaving but the people the, the players that are going to take his place have already been there and and there might be a rookie inserted somewhere into this defense depending on how the draft goes who, who knows 
but that's a, a really good defense with all of their players returning next year. And that's, you know, that's something, that's always something special. Usually you expect more turnover from a, a you know, a team that just got back from the Super Bowl. So, um, and then, so in addition to Jimmy Ward, we're still not done with the stuff the 49ers have done um, in the last couple of days. They also re-signed Ronald Blair, which was a pretty significant move. I was pretty well convinced, and this is just another thing that trading somebody like DeForest Buckner gives you, you know, the amount of, of space and money that, that frees up. I was pretty convinced that Blair was going to move on. And I, I just felt like he would be another casualty of all these high-priced players, and and he would move on to another team and have a bigger role with another team. But the 49ers managed to re-sign him to a one-year deal, and he is coming off a torn ACL that he that he tore against the Seahawks in November uh, at Levi Stadium. So that is, I know he's already running, so obviously his, re- his re- recovery is going well. But that's probably going to take him all the way up until training camp, I presume. You know, he might not even be ready for the start of training camp. I'm, I'm just not sure. Those timelines on the ACLs, obviously you have like the, the general nine-month type of, you know, expectation. But players can beat that or they can go over that. And, and it just depends. And and I thought Blair was a really, really good signing for the 49ers and something that, you know, I didn't necessarily expect because he's just a really good player. And I think he's even better than a lot of people think he is because he just hasn't had a lot of snaps. He's always been playing behind other players. And he, right now he's the primary. He would be the primary backup pass rusher behind both Nick Bosa and D Ford. So whenever either of those guys are rotating off the field, um, Nick Bosa, or excuse me, Ronald Blair is going to be the one that comes in for them. And he's been really effective. He's a good pass rusher. He uh, does pretty well to get pressure. He he's good against the run too. He's just a pretty all around good player. And I thought it was a pretty good move for the 49ers to to keep him around. What do you think, man? Yeah, I, I was a big advocate of, of bringing Blair back, you know, even with the injury. I, I think he's going to be fine, man. He's he's going to be fine. Uh, the, the biggest thing is getting that strength back. You know, you, as a pass rusher, you got to have the, you know, really good lower body strength. You know, obviously, like your explosiveness and everything, it starts there. So, you know, this will definitely be a you know an important offseason for him. But the good thing for him is he's never had to be the guy, and he still doesn't. So he's going to be able to kind of take his time and get back into the form that he was in, you know, prior to his injury. He had like three sacks in eight games, had some pressures. Chased down Russell Wilson when he tore his ACL. I thought that was a tremendous play. Um, I've been really big on him. I'm saddened to actually see that it's only a one-year contract. <laughs> I thought that this would be a time, and maybe that was all he was going to sign. Like, but I thought this would be a good time to kind of lock him up for you know a good two to three years, and be able to have a guy that's definitely your primary reserve pass rusher. And you never know, man. Like, maybe down the line he he shows some really good stuff, and you're able to move off of D Ford, you know, because you have Blair and Bosa and Armstead, and that's your you know, and and DJ Jones, right? And I, I don't think anybody would be mad at that. So um, I wish it had been a few years longer, but I, I think the signing was 100% necessary. And it, it's really cool to see him back. That That's your definitely your primary uh, reserve edge rusher. And I think the defense really took a hit when he went down because you lost him. And then you had uh, uh, Ford in and out. And then you lost Dontra Moore. And then, I mean, they were just losing guys left and right. So took a really big hit him going down hopefully he can just stay healthier but I, I really like the signing yeah I do too I do too I was I was pretty impressed and I know there were a lot of fans that were really pumped up about the signing you know in the limited times we've seen Ronald Blair on the field he's made a big impact and if you were to go check his stats they probably wouldn't be eye-popping whatsoever but if you probably break it down and compare the plays Ronald Blair Blair has made um compared to the amount of snaps he's taken his his play his making a play ratio, for lack of a better term, is probably pretty significant. Uh, it just seems like in the limited times he's been out there, he's just managed to make plays. And and for a guy who's in a heavy rotation, uh, you know the amount of impact he's been able to have has been pretty significant. So I I think that you know as long as he you know, recovers well from his torn ACL. I think that he'll be able to get back out there on the field and continue to have that impact. And like you said, dude, it's a good point. Maybe he he starts to outperform 
his role and maybe he starts to earn a more prominent role in that defense, which, you know, would be a welcome sight for the 49ers because I could tell you one thing, replacing somebody like DeForest Buckner is not going to be a one man job. Um, it's going to be a combination of, you know, DJ Jones, maybe Ronald Blair, uh, Solomon Thomas, it might get one last significant crack at a, at a huge, you know, at a, he has a huge opportunity to, to finally prove that he, he might be able to salvage, you know, his status with the 49ers, because it, it would be safe to say that pretty much everybody has written him off as a bust. And, you know, the, I don't believe should they have already done it. I'd have to do a little bit of research, but obviously the 49ers haven't picked up Solomon Thomas's fifth year option. Um, I don't know when they would have had to have done that or if they should have done that already. I'm just, I'm drawing a blank on that one, but yeah, you know, usually, yeah me too. Um, they haven't done that yet. And that's, you know, it, it's something that they would have already done for both Armstead and, and Buckner. It's just stuff like that. So obviously the team might view him in the same light as a lot of fans do, but at the same time, you know, let's say he gets a, a real opportunity to replace Buckner at that interior role. And that is primarily where he played in college. And he would, you know, if they left Armstead back on the outside where he played really well last season and then put, just plug Solomon Thomas in where Buckner was, that would be an ideal opportunity for him to prove that he is capable of, of holding the mantle that, that is usually given to number three overall picks. So, so anyways, re-signing, you know, obviously that that whole thing started with re-signing Blair, which I think was a great move. Another move that I um that I understand, I wouldn't say I'm opinionated enough about it to say, you know, one way or the other. I'm kind of lukewarm on the idea, but they restructured Jarek McKinnon's contract. Um, and if you don't know, because obviously he hasn't been on the field for the 49ers over the past two years, um, running back Jarek McKinnon, formerly of the Minnesota Vikings, was given a healthy contract by the 49ers two years ago to play a very prominent role in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Um, and like one or two practices before the start of the regular season um, in 2018, uh, Jared McKinnon tore his ACL. And it was the first time I believe he's had that injury um, prior to that. I mean, he always split carries, but he wasn't an injury prone player. Well, he tore his ACL and complications with that have kept him off the field for the past two years. And I knew looking at Jarek McKinnon's contract that there was no way, no way whatsoever that he was going to remain on the roster with that contract. He was due like somewhere between six, seven, eight million, somewhere in there. Um, I, let me see. They might have already adjusted it on over the cap. It's right here. He was due eight point five million. His cap number was eight point five million this year. Wow, which is like premier RB one type money. Uh, you know, some of the you know that's that's like some of the best backs in the in the league are making that kind of money. And there's a, there's plenty of people that would say no running back should make that money, that amount of money. Well, he's not, and I have not seen the details of the restructure. I'm assuming it's going to be very significant because Jared McKinnon would probably be, you know, would have probably approached this in a fairly realistic manner, knowing that he's coming off an injury that's drastically affected his ability over the past few years. But they restructured him to have a much lesser, a much more manageable cap number, which I think is a good move. Now, does that mean that he makes the roster this year? No, it doesn't, because I can guarantee you the restructure probably has some um, some safeties in place should the 49ers want to move on. Uh, but at the same time, when Jared McKinnon first got hurt, Shanahan did not mince words about how disappointed he was and how much McKinnon's injury impacted his playbook. McKinnon is essentially, he's a halfway decent running back, but a and but a good wide receiver. Uh, he I, I watched the guy all training camp before his injury. He ran routes just as good as some of those receivers. And so you essentially have a decent running back and a pretty good receiver in the backfield. He has great hands too. I was thoroughly impressed watching him in training camp. And I can guarantee you Shanahan had all kinds of interesting plays drawn up for that guy. And once he tore his ACL, those all just went out the window. And we have never gotten to see what role McKinnon would play in Shanahan's offense. And I know it's obvious that Shanahan still wants to see what those two can do together. Um, 
because that, you know, they wouldn't have signed him to that massive contract to begin with had they not had so much faith in what he was going to be able to do for that offense. So, I mean, what's your, what's your take on it, man? I guess I'm just at the point right now where it's just, I'm just curious what they're doing with the whole backfield. Um, you have a bunch of running backs. You, you know, obviously you have Raheem Mostert coming back who, you know, finished as the leading rusher. Um, they tendered Matt Breida. Uh, they give him a second round tender. So I'm assuming he'll be back. Um, obviously you have Tevin Coleman still, who you just paid. You have Jeff Wilson. And then it's like, well, and then now we restructure Je- uh, McKinnon's contract. The I'm usually able to kind of make sense out of a lot of the roster moves. I can't make any sense out of what they're doing in the backfield. So, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm stumped. <laughs> it, it just none of it makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, you're only going to keep ideally three running backs on your on your roster, um, maybe four. Uh, you know, as we saw last year, I think we saw that they kept four. Did they keep four backs and keep Juice? Um, yeah, you typically well, don't see. Yeah, yeah, they started to, and and plenty of times in plenty of the games they had Jeff Wilson in there as well. You know, so they had four backs even after you know it was clear that McKinnon wasn't going to have a role. Uh, but that's a good point too, man. It's like I don't. I think the clearest part about the backfield is Raheem Mostert. Like he has to be considered the guy going into the off season. Like I just feel like if you have this many guys, like that is like then you don't have one guy. You know, right, like I understand you having your your two main guys and then, you know, your one kind of, you know, really like reserve player that you want to get the rock to. But to have five running backs on your roster that and, and you kind of play the whole like uh, musical chairs thing that they did last year until they found the guy. And even going into this year, like you don't do anything to kind of really make it to where you solidify that position with one guy. Um, like me, when it comes to Matt Breda, who I think is really good, I would have gave him a third-round tender or a fourth-round tender to where, hey, I'm encouraging somebody to come get him. So I don't, you know, and I get something back in return, you know? That would have been the way that I, I don't even know if there is a fourth-round tender but or a third-round tender. I don't know how that stuff works. but No, I think they stop at three. It stops at three? Well, I would have put a third-round tender on him. And if... If somebody, you know, grabs him, all right, now we have a third-round pick, right, which we don't have right now. So that kind of and, – and then I was still would have felt good about my backfield, right? I mean, you still have uh, Mostert, who is your leading guy. You still have Coleman, who was really kind of your main guy. And then, well, we have Jeff Wilson, and then whatever we get out of uh, McKinnon. And I think, to me, that would have made more sense. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really know what they're doing at, at the, in the backfield. It kind of doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I don't really have – it doesn't make sense to me either, but I also don't really have any problems with what they're doing. I think that, you know, let me let me look right here. Tevin Coleman's – Tevin Coleman's – none of Tevin Coleman's contract this year would leave any get, uh, dead money. And if they cut him, they save almost $5 million. So I think they hmm. have – and I, I can guarantee you in the way that McKinnon's restructure went – they probably made it to where they could cut him and have very little negative impact. So I think that they're kind of just perfectly fine with letting that backfield sort itself out for another offseason. And maybe the 49ers lose one or two of those players um, because the contracts allow them to do so. And then you kind of know. I mean, hopefully the 49ers allow there to be a guy like you're talking about, like allow somebody to emerge and, and really take on that role. I mean, it got to the point late last season where people just pit, were pissed when Raheem Mostert wasn't on the field and getting the ball because he was clearly the guy. Whenever he was on the field, he was making a huge impact. Shit, he even threw a touchdown pass. Like, or excuse me, even caught a touchdown pass. So, you know, on a, it's just like and, – and I say caught a touchdown pass like it's significant. Obviously, running backs do that all the time. But you have to – you know, I'm talking about the, the trick play from Emmanuel Sanders to Raheem Most. Like, he was doing – Raheem was doing everything. So, allow him to be your guy. Allow – you know, give him the most of the snaps. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you as the fact that there's still so much that needs to materialize for us to know what the hell is going to be going on back there. But at the same time, I think the 49ers are just fine having all those guys right now, knowing that they might cut one or two of them before the season starts. And, you know, by that time, they'll have a clearer picture of what, what their backfield's going to look like. And 
doesn't bother Shanahan at all because he's got a bunch of good running backs to 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 sift through before uh, before they make a decision. So I don't know. It's interesting, but I do like the fact that they kept McKinnon around, if only to just give it one last shot at at seeing what those what him and Shanahan can do in the offense. Because you can just look at the contract they gave him when they originally signed him, and it screamed, "This guy is going to make this money." This contract is going to make sense by the end of the season is almost to me what I read when I saw that contract. And, you know, I feel like that's, there's still a chance that happens. It's just a matter of him staying healthy and, and or really you say, whenever you say staying healthy about a player, you automatically assume kind of like injury prone, but he's just still getting over that same knee injury. And if he can come back and be, you know, most, he's obviously had plenty of time to hopefully recover. And if he can come back back and be, anything close to the player he was, then, you know, that bodes well for, for Shanahan's options. And then the last thing I definitely want to talk about, cause this shit's crazy, but Deandre Hopkins is now in the NFC West, <laughs> man. Like what the hell is Bill O'Brien doing? And what does he have against the 49ers? He, you know, he traded, uh, Jadavion Clowney for what a third round pick maybe to the Seahawks. And then now you put DeAndre Hopkins and, and Clowney single-handedly beat the 49ers on Monday Night Football. And then now you put DeAndre Hopkins, arguably the best receiver in the NFL in our division with somebody like Kyler Murray, who I think Kyler Murray is like dangerous as hell. Um, yes. It, it's like, Bill O'Brien, what do you have against the 49ers? And you're just <laughs> giving these guys. Like, did you see what, I mean, in, in comparison, right? You, you have Hopkins, whatever he was traded for, which I was like, what? And then what Stefan Diggs was traded for, which was like a first round pick, like a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick. I see like just all these picks. And I'm like, how do you give up Hopkins for relatively nothing compared to what the Bills gave up for um, Stefan Diggs, man? I, I, I don't, I have no idea what Bill O'Brien is doing, but I just, I'm assuming he has something against the 49ers. <laughs> And he might, he might. I mean, I don't. I, he spent some time with Kyle Shanahan, I believe. So, I don't know, but yeah, it's just unreal. So, the Houston Texans traded DeAndre Hopkins, one of maybe a top two receiver in the NFL, top three receiver in the NFL. The, he traded him to the Arizona Cardinals for a second round pick and David Johnson and then sent with Hopkins a fourth-round pick. So let's just say the... David Johnson. David Johnson hasn't been David Johnson for like four years. Right. He's He was a backup running back last year. And he got, <laughs> he got immediately kicked to the curb by Kenyon Drake when he showed up. And so let's just... Let's say they traded David Johnson to the Texans for a fourth-round pick. Let's just... Because that actually seems like, okay, uh, that's a believable trade. I, I get it. You know, if anything, that that's paying a little too much for David Johnson. But let's just do that for the sake of simplicity. And that means that the Arizona Cardinals got DeAndre freaking Hopkins for a second-round pick. Like, what the hell, man? It's DeAndre yeah. freaking Hopkins. Dude, imagine what Deshaun Watson is doing right now. What, or, or imagine what he did when he read that. Like yeah, he probably just laughed. Like sometimes, you know, with stuff like that, that's all you can do. Just laugh. Like <laughs> all right. So if you watched that. the Texans play last year, you could not imagine Deshaun Watson having almost any success without DeAndre Hopkins. He threw some bombs to like Will Fuller and you know, some I don't know who the other guys are, but it, it's DeAndre Hopkins, dude. I think it's going to greatly impact uh, uh, Watson. Um, I think Watson is a he's a terrific deep ball thrower. Um, I think on the intermediate stuff, I think Hopkins helps him out a lot by you know him being able bails to bails him out. Yeah, he bails him out a lot, being able to you know just catch passes that are just in the vicinity of him. Uh, just always be able to just kind of muscle the ball away from guys, and you lose that, and now you have to depend on Will Fuller who has been extremely inconsistent. Um, you have Kenny Stills, who I like him, but, you know, obviously not. I mean, nobody's going to replace the, the production of Hopkins, but, you know, Will Fuller and and Stills, they're, they're fine. 
So I'm pretty sure they'll be in the market <laughs> of drafting a receiver because uh yeah, they need they need they need they need somebody to kind of help be more of a possession guy, man. It's just it's just strange. It is just strange. And I'm 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 interested to see like what they do. They they've made all these trades for running backs, man. I mean, didn't they trade last year? Last year they traded uh was it they the Browns? Did they give like a fourth round pick? Five. Yeah, well, they also, I want to say, traded for Duke Johnson, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they gave yeah. up a fourth-round pick for Duke. Like, who wants Duke Johnson? Like, so, you know, okay, so this is what it is. Uh, Bill O'Brien has no business being a general manager. And I think sometimes when you give a head coach Correct. all this power and you, and you you know, he has the keys to the franchise and he's able to do whatever he wants to do, I think these are the type of things that you see. Um, I'm interested to see what what... But you know what though? Like to his defense, they have been in the playoffs damn near every year. So even with his weird things that he trades and stuff that he's doing, they are competitive. It just never seems like they have that team that's really gonna make like pose a threat to some of these, you know, top tier teams. And I think that's what we're seeing. And he had a great chance to do that um in the playoffs last year, and they gave up like a hundred straight points to the Kansas City Chiefs. So um, I don't know when he'll ever have an opportunity to do that again, especially after giving up your best player in your franchise. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what Bill O'Brien is doing. Hey, do you think the 49ers could get Julio Jones for the number 31 pick? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Julio just – didn't he just sign like a big contract? So I don't know how that so. type of stuff works. I think he's paid, paid like $22 million or $23 million a year or something like that. I think he's the highest paid – as far as uh, per year in the NFL, and I think he just recently got some type of extension. So I don't know how that the cap stuff works, but let me see here. I'm looking he at, is I'm just, I'm older. Just, he's still Julio. He's still Julio. Yeah, he's thirty one. Like, ah, a first. I mean, not. I, I probably would do it. <laughs> I probably he's, would do it. He's right. Yeah, he, he's, he's right around like twenty million a year right now. He's right at yeah. like it. Two thousand twenty is twenty a twenty million dollar cap hit. 2021, a $23 million cap hit. 2022, 19. 2023, 19. So, yeah, that's a lot of money. I'm, I'm not I'm not in, in any way – I'm not reporting that. <laughs> and I probably do it. I'm just saying that it is, he's 31 years old. That is a lot of money. Um, but, again, you know, now if you trade out the third – I still probably would do it. <laughs> I'm just – I'm like, like – Now the receivers are going window, for nothing. Yeah, when you have a window right now – uh, yeah, I'd probably do it. Yeah, now that now that receivers are going for nothing, and you can get somebody like DeAndre Hopkins for essentially a second round pick from a rogue GM head coach, I'm just spitballing, seeing what other crazy ass deals you can make for really good receivers. Um, but yeah, that's 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 just funny. I don't think the 49ers would be able to absorb Julio's contract, but um, it's just dude, that's that's fucking crazy. Like, what is going on? You know, excuse excuse my French, um, but it's just nuts to see a, a trade like that happen. That is so clearly effed up. You know that. Like, just look at the responses from the rest of the league, man. Like they were shocked. Like what? Right. <laughs> I think one player. Right. Hold on, I have to. <laughs> it was in my group chat. I I have to find the. Uh, hold on, let me find it. Let me find it. Uh. It was an NFL roll. player. He commented like in the in the comments, and he said something about like coronavirus. Just <laughs> get right. Hold on, I have to find it. Where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? Here we go. So um, the NFL um, posted on Instagram: Texans trade DeAndre Hawkins to the Cardinals, and like you know, you see some comments from the other guys. You see Juju Smith. He says this is crazy. Um, some of these guys, I don't know. Emmanuel Sanders just put like the big surprise eyes, but Mohamed Sanu said coronavirus got got coronavirus got y'all tripping. <laughs> and I, and I just thought it was funny because I'm like, man, like they are tripping, man. I don't know what Bill O'Brien is doing, but uh, I, you know, he's a front office guy. So, have you ever seen Moneyball? Hmm? Have you ever seen Moneyball, the baseball movie? Yeah, with uh, Billy Bean. Yeah. Yeah, and how they were getting rid of like so you think it's something like that where they're they're getting rid of their top players because they know they can't uh uh pay them but they're gonna you know 
instead of getting the protection from one player, they're just going to get it from like four players <laughs> and, and, and it's going to be less money. So that's what, so, so Hopkins production, which is catching like 120 passes and all that, you're not going to get that um, out of one person, but maybe you can get that out of three guys and right. well, still have Will Fuller be who he is. So if that's, that's the outlook, I, I can understand it. Well, I, and that's not even the part I was talking about. Like, obviously, they're going to have to have that no matter what, because you can't just up and replace a DeAndre Hopkins. But the part I was what I was talking about was like, because they have the obviously in that movie, they have the whole money ball theory and, and, and you know, everything's broken down into percentages and mathematic equations. And that's how they determine, you know, they have everything broken down into a formula that tells them what combination of players gives them the best chance to win. And they had this like like an all star rookie of the year type first baseman, and by their equations, they felt like the guy who was a catcher that had nerve damage that could no longer throw, and was just learning first base, was going to give them a better chance to win because he got on base more than that rookie of the year all star type first baseman. And the 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 manager would never never start the roster how he wanted him to start. And so he finally is like, fine, I'm just going to trade him. So he trades Carlos Pena. His name was Carlos Pena. Um, and the, when he first tells his little right-hand man that he's going to do it, he says, I would not do that. I really would not do that. This this is the type of stuff that gets people <laughs> fired. Like, these are hard moves to explain to people. And obviously, if you've seen that movie, Billy Bean, um, played by Brad Pitt, just doesn't care. He's like, look, do we believe in this or not? Like, okay, then let's do it. But it was just the way he reacts to that. Like, I wouldn't do that. I really wouldn't do that. Like, <laughs> was there nobody there to say that to Bill O'Brien? And like, also it was different too, because the whole th- thing behind Moneyball was the owner of the A's, well, whether they weren't bringing in the revenue or or whatever the case is, you know, in, in baseball, there's no salary cap. So, you know, the Yankees and whoever, they can they can just outbid you and they can pay whatever. And you know you can't compete with those guys. So that kind of changes your formula. The NFL has a salary cap. So you're kind of able to – you don't have to give up Hopkins, who's the best receiver in the league. Like, especially for nothing. Like, I, that was that – was, I don't know. I don't know. Like, dude, draft picks are not a for sure thing. You know, like, you don't just send a guy like DeAndre Hopkins packing for a second-round pick who you have, at that time, have no idea who that's going to be and have no idea if that guy's going to work out. Like, man, that's just crazy to me. I just, I still can't wrap wrap my hand around it. For the longest time, and I kind of still believe it, I I think DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver in the NFL. Like, I, you know, I, you could make an argument for several other players. I just, I love his game. I love everything he brings. He's a phenomenal route runner. He has pretty good hands, but, and he just makes some of the most ridiculous contested catches. Like one of the most fun players to watch in the NFL. And he just got traded for a second round pick. And now he's in the NFC West playing for the Cardinals that the 49ers had trouble beating both times they played him this year. And then you throw somebody like DeAndre Hopkins in the mix. Like, damn. I don't think the Cardinals are going to be any uh, pushover this year by any means. I mean, they weren't pushovers last year. They, they were extremely competitive last year. They, they lost close games. And they were beating um, Seattle. Yeah, they, they, they were in a lot of games. They were, they were close in games. Obviously, they pushed the 49ers to the limits twice um, and made them very competitive games. This is this is dangerous, you know. You have a quarterback coming back for his, you know, his second, uh, you know, second season, and you expect him to be, you know, better, you know, there. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I do not like it. Right, I, I'm, yeah, it's nuts, it's nuts. But good on the good on the Cardinals for digging in and, and getting that trade. I mean, that's nuts. I think the 40, I don't know about, you know, the money side of things, but I think the 49ers would have jumped at the bit to trade number 31 for DeAndre Hopkins. If, yeah, if they here, take it. You, you know, it. it's, it's crazy. I guarantee you there's a bunch of teams in the NFL piss at Bill O'Brien right now. Cause they're saying we would have given you way more than that <laughs> for DeAndre Hopkins. Like we would have made that trade look like a joke. But you never called us, bro. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. But anyways, 
Anyway, is there anything I'm leaving out about the, the last couple of days, Croc? Is there anything you can think of that I left out? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's that's good. They I resigned. Uh, they did resign Sean Coleman. Excuse me. Shout out to Sean Coleman. I don't want to disrespect you. Um, he broke his ankle uh, during the preseason and didn't get to play all this year. But the 49ers have a pretty high opinion of him. Um, they they kind of consider him their candidate for the lead backup swing tackle role behind either Mike McGlinchey or Joe Staley. And they did resign him to a one-year deal. So he'll be around this offseason again, kind of like McKinnon. Doesn't mean he's going to make the roster. Um, you know, you got with, with some other offensive linemen like Daniel Brunskill emerging. Uh, he played good all over that line. So, it, you know, Coleman should, you know, he'll, he'll have to compete for a, a prominent role. But, you know, just a good depth addition for the 49ers, someone they originally traded for from the Browns. So I don't want to uh, want Coleman. I know he's a avid listener of striking gold. Uh, and I don't want him to feel disrespected because we didn't bring him up. So shout out to uh, Sean Coleman and his one-year deal. But anyways, I think that's a bit about it. Crocker, is that about it? I think that's about it. Sounds good, man. I think we covered it all. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. But um, I think unless, you know, we might sh- switch it up. We'll see what happens between now and then. I think inevitably we'll have some more news to bring to you next week um, be- from Crocker and I. And I think if nothing too crazy comes up, then I think we'll also start touching on the players that the 49ers can target at number 13. Because like I said earlier, earlier the, uh, the NFL draft has just been flipped upside down for the 49ers. So there's a ton of players that are, that are now in play that weren't in play before. So um, be looking out for that soon. And as always, appreciate you being here. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, appreciate all the feedback. And, you know, you guys hitting us up on Twitter. Uh, you know, leave us your hit us up on Twitter. Leave us your comments. You know, if you have any thoughts on what we talked about today, just hit up me and Eric on Twitter and, and, and we'll talk about it because we always make a habit of replying. Um, you can find me at Rob underscore louder, L-O-W-D-E-R. You can find Eric at Eric underscore Crocker. And uh, that's it for us tonight. Again, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And this is Striking Gold signing out. <laughs>